Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. I'm Robert Killingsworth. The audio for this episode comes from a sermon that was given during one of our Sunday services. We hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's word. Who is that guy who's walking up front? Some of you are saying, he never comes to see us here. So um, I'm delighted to come see you here. Um, so I'm going to start with an announcement, actually. Um, I'm looking around, and, and Wayne just referenced this, that some of you are here for the first time or maybe the second or third time. And I, do, I love the service. I'm fed by this service. I, like to, I can sit wherever I want. I don't have to put on a dress. I can, uh, uh, it's, um, it's great to be here. And, um, and so uh, many years ago, the second rector, Claude Payne, um, had a bring a friend to church Sunday. And I want you to keep in mind that this is about the time that George H.W. Bush had been elected president. And so uh, on bring a friend to church Sunday, he brought Margaret Thatcher was his guest. <laughs> so, and Dennis Thatcher and Brian Mulrooney and his wife. Uh, and um, the G8 Summit happened to be going on in, in Houston. And um, he said, I want some of you to come to my church. And so he brought four of the other heads of state. Well, you're not heads of state, but some of you are heads of family. And some of you have lots of friends. And so I'd love for you to think about, look around. This is a nice crowd today. This crowd could easily double next week. All you have to do is bring one person. And then the week after that, invite those people to bring one person. And before you know it, this place will be filled and people will come to a place where they feel comfortable worshiping our Lord in a different way, Angloform, form, but a little different. So be like George, bring a friend to church. Now, what a wonderful segue to let you know as some of the clergy have heard. So I have this book coming out. <laughs> Do I have the, where's the slide of the book? There we are. So uh, the, the national launch for Witness to Dignity comes out um, uh, Wednesday evening here at St. Martin's. We're going to have a book signing at 6 p.m. We'll have some refreshments. And um, it's be more than a book signing, though. I'm gonna, I, I wanted it to be here because a good bit of this book is about our life together as a church and St. Martin's and, and, um, and the way in which I feel like 41 and Barbara lived into the faith here. And so um, they are available in the bookstore now um, uh, and Amazon, Books Million, Target, Walmart, blah, blah, blah. Um, And if you happen to buy one, Amazon reviews are really helpful. This has nothing to do with the word of the Lord or the gospel, but I'm getting to that. So, um, but I'd love for you to come because Wednesday night I have a lot of slides and and pictures that a lot of people haven't seen before. Um, The White House photographers gave me a lot of stuff that I think is neat kind of behind the scenes. Uh, really of the funeral and things that we plan there. So come join us for that. Enough of the commercial. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that we can come to you today, wherever we are in our life, and know that when things are going great, we can celebrate, and when things are not going great, we have a place to turn. We all need your redemption, and that comes in all kinds of ways. And today, help us to remember the important word, help. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, in my first, when, when you're in seminary, at, of course you went to seminary all, all over the place, but I went to Virginia Theological Seminary in Alexandria, Virginia. Wesley went there. Some of our other clergy went there. 
And at Virginia, they require you to do two years of field service. So you serve in a church uh, as, a, as, a, as a lackey. You don't get cash for this. You have to show up for about 12 hours a week. I happen to work for a pretty tough rector, and he liked things pretty much a particular way. This is back in the old days before bullying was accepted in the workplace. And so, uh, but he's a wonderful guy and, and we, we remain friends to this day. He's 82, we're still friends. But he liked, there were two seminarians and we took turns on doing this. So early in the morning before the church came, we were required to go to his office, unlock the door if it was cold, open his door, turn on his heat, and he liked things in a certain way, or if it was hot, you go in the office, we had windows unit air conditioner, turn on the air conditioner, make sure everything was set. So I got there early and there were only two of us there, the Christian education director who was going in her wing and, and your rector who at the time was a lackey seminarian. And so I went in and I walked into the office and I flipped on the light and I'm, and I'm walking in and I, went, and I went like this, boom. And I looked down and there was the safe in the middle of the floor. And I thought, what? what's the safe doing in the middle of the floor? And I, well, it's one a big safe. And, um, and then I looked over the window and there was some broken glass. And I thought, oh, somebody has tried to get in here and break in. And, and um, so I immediately thought 911. So I go over the phone, pick up the phone, dial 911. Policeman picks up and says, hello, what's your emergency? And I said, well, I'm, in, I'm over here at Christ Church. It's Christ Church down in Alexandria, Virginia, Old Town, kind of in the middle of the city of Old Town. And, and I said, and I've just found that the safe's in the middle of the room. Somebody broke in. And, and the policeman at that moment said, has it occurred to you that you have interrupted him? And I thought... No, no, that's not occurred to me at all. And he said, uh, well, uh, I would suggest you get out of there and we'll get over there and meet you. Go for, is there anybody else in the building? Yes, the Christian education. Go get her and then, you know, and then you all meet us outside. And just a moment of terror uh, struck, struck me and we got out and we had not interrupted it. It was way too heavy for him to get further than halfway across the room. But I wonder if you ever feel like that. I wonder if you ever feel like everything's kind of normal and then um, everything's kind of stable and then suddenly something crashes into the middle of all of it and all you can think of is, I want out of here. I need help. I need a rescue plan. I need to be saved. You know, you're well and the doctor calls. Everything seems to be okay with the kids, and then the police knock at your door in the middle of the night. You thought the marriage was going to last forever, and he or she just walked out of you. You thought you were doing a good job, and, and the pink slip arrives. Or you, or you thought you were a saint, and the slippery slope of one step too many in a direction you should have never gone just upended your life and you feel like you are stuck in some form of quicksand of guilt and sin. It may feel like you're right in the middle of a raging storm and the sounds and sights and heaviness of it all just seems like it may very well crush you. So where do you turn? Well, today I've been invited by Sue's and Wesley to come into this series of sermons on Psalm 107. If you could ever make a psalm into this many sermons, this is the time it's been done. I'm probably repeating some of what has been said here, but 
It's a rather long psalm, 43 verses. This is one of those psalms about which we're not sure quite who the author is, but at ground zero, it's a psalm of praise. Most believe it was written as part of a liturgy that was used in annual Jewish religious festivals, recounting the 70 years of Babylonian captivity from 581 to 516, and then its end, wherein the Hebrews were freed and could return to the promised land. So a Levite, in other words, a son of Levi, in other words, a Levin son, <laughs> just, that is where my name comes from. So I, I'm a son, I am a son of Levi. So, so we're in the right place today. So a Levite, would use that as a background, we use this psalm as a background to point to all the ways that God rescues his children in their time of need. So in, in week, if you haven't been here in week one, Eric spoke about the larger story of redemption. Is that right, Eric? Good, I got that right. Sue's talked about how uh, God redeems us in those wilderness times in our lives. Wesley spoke about how God breaks his children free from the chains of sin and so on. But today we have a portion about rescue, about help. And it gives us a chance to pause and consider what happens when we're right in the middle of a crisis moment in life. Crisis is visited upon us or crisis of our own doing. And, and here's the thing about when you're right in the middle of a crisis, all you want is to be out of it. All you want is for it to be over. So what is your crisis today? What is your storm today? As we just heard, some went out on the sea in ships and they saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. It all seemed wonderful. You know, if you go out on a boat, sometimes it all seems great, seems beautiful. But if you know anything about the sea, that can all change in a moment. So along comes a tempest and the waves begin and up and down. They reeled and staggered like drunkards, the psalmist says. Must have been Episcopalians. And then we're told they're at their wit's end. Do you know what that's like? I bet you do. I bet you do. Are any of you at your wit's end today? What to do? When Susan and I were exchanging messages about this psalm, notes about this psalm, she said something perhaps, if not all of us, certainly some of us feel, it may feel like we live more in relentless waves of the sea all the time rather than on this stillness of solid ground. I mean, historically, for us in Harris County, from one thing to the next, I mean, when I first moved here, it was Hurricane Ike. Remember Hurricane Ike? And then the economic downturn of 2008 and what seems to be an ongoing, I think, decline of human decency in the public square is Civil discourse becomes increasingly vitriolic and a nation gets more and more divided, it seems, and the hunger for some sort of sane leadership from either party seems to be relentless. And then there's Harvey, and then there's the pandemic, and then there's the freeze, and that's just the stuff we're all enduring, you know? But what about the stuff just, just you're enduring by yourself? Again, are you at your wit's end? Where to turn today? Verse 27, when they were at their wit's end, what did they do? Verse 28, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. 
And what did he do? He brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. I wonder if that's manna to you today. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. You know, I think, I think, I think, I mean, those of us who come to church, I think we know where to turn. I mean, we come to this place. We come here because we think there is something good about church. There's something good about being around God and God's people. It brings you some sense of the peace that we want. But the storms of life can drown that stuff out, and we can forget where to turn. A lot of us try to do it on our own steam. Sometimes, sometimes the crisis comes and we ignore that inner voice to turn to our Lord, but other times it comes and we know where no, there's nowhere else to turn. When I, again, this is why I was a young priest. And when you're a young priest like Suze or Wesley, you're really cocky. And uh, <laughs> you think you know everything. You think you've got it all down. And I was a young priest in Birmingham, Alabama, and I was serving as associate. And, I, and one of the, the, the jobs for young associates in Birmingham at the time was to go to this nursing home retirement community at an Alzheimer's unit called St. Martin's, believe it or not, St. Martin's in the Pines. Well, I was, I mean, I, I had so much to offer. And you, if, when you went to that service, it w- they would bring people in, and some of them were drooling, and some of them were hopping along like this, and some of them were in wheelchairs. And, you know, uh, and, and, and one time, one of my friends who was an associate somewhere else told me she was doing it, and as, as they were bringing people out, and she was trying to greet them, one lady, she noticed when she was preaching, this one lady kept doing her hand like this, and she didn't know what, you know, she's got some kind of, palsy or something. And when she got up to the door, she saw that the woman had a remote control in her hand. And she realized while she was preaching, the woman was trying to change the channel the whole time she was preaching. So, so I, you know, that's the service I got. No music, no Wayne and Eric and band. It, they, they put a little, that back then it was a cassette player and they put a cassette in and I'm just sitting there and I'm sitting in the back and they bring this woman in, they bring her up front in a wheelchair. And, and I'm just, I honestly sitting there going, what a waste of my time. These people, they don't even know, they don't, they're not going to appreciate what I have to offer my wife. I was going to get them preached to this crowd. I mean, somebody yelled, oh, it's time to put the chickens out. Or just, I was just sitting there going, oh. And there's this one woman up front, she's just babbling away, babble, babble, babble. And I, and I remember dropping my head and I think, oh God, what a waste. And she goes, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And she went all the way through the creed, and then she went, God, please help me. And then she went back to her babbling. And it was a sucker punch to the gut. And in that moment, I thought, she actually understands God better than I do. I thought I didn't need God to be so special and important. She didn't have anything. She needed God. I've uttered that prayer. But there are times when I've forgotten where to turn. There are times when I've forgotten to whom to turn. 
If there's only one of you here today who has forgotten that, hear these words again. When they were at their wits end, they cried out to the Lord and he brought them out of their distress. So we, we know what to do. I mean, it's right here, it tells us right here, it's the prescription. But we might also ask, why should I turn to God? Why might even I feel like I want to turn to God? Because, you know, I might be thinking, well, you know, he's kind of allowed this mess to happen anyway, hadn't he? Let me say, maybe he has not. But he would still want you to turn to him and maybe... As hard as it is to swallow, maybe he has allowed it to happen. If only to invite you back to him. Some years ago, a friend of mine, very close friend of mine, was struggling with the weight of some very bad decisions he was making that were about to destroy his marriage. I'm not going to the details, but somewhere along the lines, he foolishly thought that He could somehow tempt fate by stepping away from his marital vows. And then one day, for no apparent reason, his hands began to swell. He thought he had some allergic reaction or had been bitten by a spider. He went to the doctor who couldn't find any reason, even tested him for rheumatoid arthritis, and the test came back negative. And All the while, the storm of guilt was raging around him, and what he was doing was raging around him, and he just couldn't take it anymore. The weight was too heavy, so he made a decision. He stopped the relationship, which was verging but not quite reaching full-blown adultery. He told his wife. He told his priest, and the very next day, the swelling stopped and his hands went back down to their normal size. Psychosomatic? Possibly. But it occurred to him later, it might have been a spiritual healing process that was beginning. As he and his wife reconciled, as he called out to the Lord, as he had been trying to carry around in his two hands all that guilt and sin on his own, and when he was at his wit's end, He cried out to the Lord, and the waves of the seas in his life were hushed, and his marriage was healed. What is the real invitation of this psalm? It's pretty simple, isn't it? The invitation is to trust God. The invitation is to call out to God, and then in his own way, in his own time, he will rescue you. I'm sorry, I'm going on a long, I've cut out two stories. So many years ago, many years ago, you won't invite me back. So many years ago, I was in another place and I was going through a really difficult time, really weighty issue. Somebody in my heart was really making some bad decisions. And I, it was, it was, it's all I could think about day and night. I, I went to this priest who was older and wiser, and I, we sat and we talked, and I was just, I was a priest. I've been a priest for many years. I said, this is just weighing on me, and we talked about it, and we prayed, and we got through praying and, you know, hugged each other, and I left. I still felt weighed down, and I, and I, and I went from between here and my house. I stopped at the grocery, and I'm walking in the grocery. It's in Pensacola, Florida, and um, one of the two times in my life I met an angel, 
And I do believe this. And I'm walking in, and this large African-American woman's coming right at me from the grocery. And I can't remember which grocery it was. But she's coming right at me, and, and she stops. She looks at me. She goes, everything's going to turn out all right. And then she just kept walking. And I immediately turned around, and she was not there. And I went. And I walked through the parking lot looking for her. Couldn't find her. I walked into the grocery store, and I said, did anybody see Nobody had seen her. And guess what? Everything turned out all right. Not on my timetable. It took a long time. But when it did, I I can see her right now. Everything's going to turn out all right. I have to add that um, sometimes that kind of shout out is not an invitation to believe everything's going to turn out all right. It's an invitation to trust God in your crisis. Um, do, you, do you know what Lanyap is? How many of you are from Louisiana? So, um, Lanyap means there's a little something extra. You get, you get a big pile of crawfish, and then they'll give you some gumbo on the side for free. And... Um, and um, what happens when you begin to trust in our Lord? The lanyap that comes with that is you actually get closer to our Lord. It's one thing to trust. It's another thing to trust him more and more. And the more you trust him, the deeper you, you get into that sweet relationship. It's like a, a, a marriage or a friendship or a relationship with your parent or your child. The more you trust in that person, the closer you get to them, the stronger that bond grows. I do not understand everything those in my world do or why they do it, but when I trust them, you know, I don't need to understand because what's important is the relationship. And the same is true of my relationship with God. I don't have to understand everything God does or allows to happen in this world or in my world because what matters is the relationship. Oswald Chambers put it well, it's not our trust that keeps us, but the God in whom we trust that keeps us. In other words, my increasing trust will enable a greater peace. Or to put it another way, the more we depend on God, the more we find he is dependable. Why is he dependable? Here's why. Because God cares and knows how you feel. Your boss doesn't know how you feel. Your money doesn't know how you feel. Your reputation, your retirement fund, your house or apartment, your car, none of those know how you feel. Maybe even those closest to you uh, do not know exactly how you feel. But when the chaos breaks into your life, God does. God came in the person of Jesus Christ to experience the world's brokenness on its most grand scale as a physician might inject herself with a disease so she can experience the fullness of her patient's symptoms. So God came into the world and experienced poverty and homelessness and disillusionment and betrayal and loneliness and the abandonment of loved ones, false accusation, torture, injustice, execution. The Christian's God has faced every human tragedy. Why trust God when the rowing waves of life are slapping us all around? Because he knows how we feel. He knows how you feel. 
He has experienced everything we have and more. And you and I are so precious to God that he became like us so that we might, if we are willing, come to him. I don't know what you're facing today. If you've been through some of life's tragedies, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You feel the storm is all around. Maybe it is right now. Maybe it is right this very minute. And let me say this. If it has not come, do you get those Christmas cards when everybody's perfect and the story's perfect and you kind of go, really? Well, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but chances are, even for those people, there's a storm or two in their future. But here's the prescription. One we can follow. When they were at their wit's end, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm. The waves were hushed, and they were glad it grew calm. And then he guided them into their desired haven. Do you need that today? Do you need a desired haven? Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. It is executive produced by Robert Killingsworth. The theme music was written and recorded by Robert Killingsworth. If you're interested in life at St. Martin's, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at St. Martin's Episcopal Church.